The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Here we go, everyone. Welcome, uh, welcome to another edition of the Wrestling Inc. Podcast, back by popular demand. It's Sean Davari and Ken Anderson, who uh, we had one of our Wilder podcasts the last time they were on. Guys, how are you doing today? Great. Better than I look. <laughs> it is. It is 11 a.m. Hopefully, uh, hopefully everyone's uh, up and at them. Uh, Ten for me. Uh, guys, what's been going on? Uh, I know last time we talked, you guys had Eugene doing a seminar. Uh, your your school, uh, you guys were having your summer seminar. How, how's everything going? Man, I was just, we, me and Ken were talking about it the other day. That uh, Ken was talking about Christopher Daniels, and I was kind of doing the same thing with Eugene, that when you become friends with somebody or when somebody's known for an act, you only see them really do that act. Or when you're friends, you barely ever talk about work. You're just talking about your lives together. That's really cool. You know, Ken was saying, he, how long have you traveled with Chris? Like four years, and you never talked about wrestling. And, and I, I've known Eugene for so long, but since 2003, I've only seen him do the Eugene act. I forget what good wrestlers these guys are. It's so much fun. Like a breath of fresh air. It's almost like seeing a whole new side to a friend that you didn't know was there because you forgot about it. Yeah. And I'm, I've been in the business for 18 years, and the amount of knowledge that I've gleaned from doing these seminars is, is amazing. It's extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys got another one coming up? Yeah, we have X-Pac coming up. Yeah. So X-Pac. Uh, October 30th. And again, this one's open to the public. Um, we've got two seminars, a two-hour uh, seminar for people that have zero to 20 matches, and then another two-hour seminar. At the bare minimum, he's going to be here for two hours or four hours. And you know Sean, he, once he gets on a roll, he'll, he won't shut up. He'll probably do like a 10-hour seminar. Yeah, and, and we'll be talking to Sean again uh, next week. Um, so, uh, Wait, he didn't? I guess uh, you're doing. I thought giving me the Iggy to put your shit up. No, no, no. It, we'll be giving Sean the Iggy. Iggy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Jack Lanza, wave your tie. Take it home. <laughs> Um, so nice. So, um, what have, what have been some things you guys have learned as, uh, tr you know, training and, and running the school has gone on? Man, <laughs> I, I don't know about wrestling, but man, I, I had no idea what running a business is like. There's so much stuff that entails like tracking money and making projections. And, 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 you know, when we had to get the place, finding insurance, dealing with like contractors to build the place out, this was all such ridiculous stuff that, for the most part, me and Ken just figure it out on our own. We're like, we'll try it with somebody, you know, professionals, and they'll go on like YouTube or the internet and just be like, ah, that doesn't seem that hard. We'll try ourselves and do pretty damn good. You know, I always say like a guy that, you know, our job at, you know, patching up drywall, we're probably not as good as a contractor, but for like our second time ever doing it off a YouTube video, it's pretty damn good. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the best part, the most rewarding part of the video, of the, um, of the job is the fact that we're our own bosses. So we set the hours, we set the standards. You know, I'll come in one day and I'll say, hey, Sean, I got this great idea, or I think it's a great idea, and we'll talk about it for a couple hours, and 
we'll agree to do it, and then we find out that it's the shifts, so we change it. You know, it's it's like we don't have to sit and do exactly what our boss wants us to do. Right. And getting Sean, uh, Sean to come. Who's, uh, whose idea was that? Both of ours. We, I mean, we have a little like list of like we have like whiteboards everywhere in our office. And we just always have these ongoing lists. We ask for kids who we'd like to train with. You know, we see who's available, who's in the area. And Sean has been on our list since like our first. I want to say he was the first guy we tried to contact, and he was just kind of his schedule was busy or you know it wouldn't work out. And um, and yeah, now he's kind of, I think he's like a sixth or seventh guy to come through. It just kind of schedules worked out. He was available. We were ready to do another seminar after Eugene and it, and it all just kind of came together. Yeah. And Sean, uh, we had interviewed him earlier this summer. We were talking about how uh, really uh, kind of an innovator as far as American wrestling, uh, as far as being a smaller guy to make it in WWE at that time. Uh, no guys really his, his size would make it. He'd actually be one of the bigger guys right now. I know, right? <laughs> you know, and he just seems like a natural fit. He's from he's from Minneapolis. He cut his teeth here, um, and he did break the mold. Or at the time, it was you had to be a big, jacked-up monkey in order to even look at. Right. And, and, and Sean's. Uh, I was telling yes, telling Ken yesterday, like Sean's one of those guys that he's he's done a lot of things that most people don't ever have like he has experience in areas that never will come up for other people he kind of just knows how to handle everything from live tv to tape tv to like you said being a small guy in a giant's world and how how to stay over and stay relevant to transitioning to like the you know the attitude era type stuff to you know what tna was trying to become when they went on monday nights and he's just he's been a part of like literally everything you possibly imagine. any scenario crazy scenario that'll come up you know for me for example like i said if i ever get to do a money in the bank match. It'll be my first time. I have no reference. If I ever need to do like an uh, elimination chamber, I've never done one. It'll be like my first time. Sean's pretty much done almost any crazy scenario you could think of. He's done it before. He's a guy you can, Sean, I've never done this before. How should I do it? He'd be like, well, you could do a start like this. This is what I did. I did it in 92 like this. I did it in 97 like this. I did it in 2004 like this. Like, you know, like he's, he's done everything. Yeah. Do you guys, uh, do you guys ever get to work with Sean? It seems like the paths might have crossed at, at different times. Um, yeah, I was just working with him over in uh, England for WAW for the nights. And uh, I've, I've done tons of shows with him, but we only wrestled once for um, Kevin Nash ran a tour of Aruba. And, like, the first night was bad. And then the second night, he just told me and Sean, he's like, I need you guys to tear the house down. And Sean was like, yeah, okay, cool, whatever. And like, as soon as Kevin leaves, Sean goes, I haven't wrestled in, like, a couple months, man. Please, like, go easy on me. And I'm like, oh, cool. And we went out there, and then, like, Sean's like, I'm sorry, take it easy. I mean, work was like, I was trucking so hard. I was like, God damn, if this is you, like, rusty, like, I couldn't imagine how sharp you are when you're, when you feel like you're not. It was, it was so good. He was so crisp, and I couldn't believe he was like, probably means like, just, just take it easy out there, take it easy on me, please. Like, I was like, wow, that was amazing for his, his you know, my, in my head, I was like, this is not me taking it easy. This is me going full tilt. Yeah. Um. One of the big things that's kind of changed since we last spoke was uh, TNA kind of is gone now. It's GFW. Um, Jeff Jarrett's back in charge. There's been a ton of turnover, but it seems like things are starting to settle down a little bit. Uh, what, are you guys, what are you guys' thoughts on uh, what GFW is doing? And do you see a, a path forward for them under, under Jarrett? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, 
I think that the wrestling industry is the hardest industry to, to work in from a creative standpoint because every other part of, of entertainment or, you know, if you have a sitcom, they're, what is it, 22 episodes, 24 episodes, they're 22-minute episodes. Um, most shows run 8 to 12 episodes. And in wrestling, it's 52 weeks a year, two hours a day. So you constantly have to be coming up with new ideas. So I think that's how wrestling gets this. Oh, wrestling stale. It's the same old uh, regurgitated storylines. Um, so I obviously, I think TNA is making a good go at it. And uh, I hope they, I hope they work out. Yeah. I hope they work out for the sake that I have a lot of friends that work there. And, I mean, it's, a, it's one more place for the boys to work. I, I think, oh, sorry, Jim, go ahead. But, uh, for, for a while, it was just WWE, you know. It's basically the only place you could work. Yes, team they existed, but wasn't really kind of limping along. Um, now you've got several different places for the boys to work. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna say having Jeff back in charge or whoever the head figure is to me that was I was at the very very beginning of that that when I got to pretty much my last six months at TNA it was like Jeff was gone and then it was Vince Russo and then right before I was done it was Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff and it was like it was like damn in six months there's like three different people we had to answer to that you know we thought was our boss and from talking to Ken and my other friends that worked there, it just that trend continued where like every couple months you had a different boss. Right. And when you have, no matter what direction you go, if everybody moves in the same direction, it's more likely that you can make a right move. But if you start going in this way and then your new boss goes this way and your new boss goes this way, and you're, like you never get to even see one general idea materialize in anything. And then it's super hard. Like whether it's Jeff or whether it's whoever, as long as there's one person in charge, I feel like that always makes it easier to potentially have success. But if you never get to fulfill one idea from conception to execution, it's hard to tell if any ideas could or would work. Yeah. I know people give Dixie Carter a lot of shit. Um, but she did probably lose a lot of money, but she kept this company going for a long period of time that has employed a lot of people and is still uh, employing a lot of wrestlers and, you know, has – they were a, a decent number two for a while. Um, I think they're maybe number three, number four. I don't know. Uh, it, it gets kind of muddy when you get past WWE. Um, but you think um, where do you, where do you think Dixie gets involved with wrestling again, or is she completely done? I think I don't think she wanted to be involved for the last year. Yeah, my, my, I, I don't work for her, but I feel like the last year she you wouldn't hand the reins off so many times, like unless you try to get rid of something. Yeah, and I really feel like she was sort of a, um, yes, she was the president of the company, but she came in and she didn't know anything about the wrestling business. She was, uh, she was in the entertainment industry and in the music industry in Nashville. And then she came in and she would always, like Sean said, just hand the reins over, like, here, you're the new boss, you're in charge of everything, there you go. And... To me, it's like you have to have somebody like Jeff Jarrett where he's actually got his hands in the pot, mixing everything up. You know, Vince Mc... The WWE wouldn't be the success that it is today if it's president or whatever his title is now, the CEO. Um, 
didn't get his hands dirty for a lot of years. He was in charge of everything. Vince yeah. was in charge of creative. He was in charge of marketing. He was in charge of, you know, every aspect of the WWE. Yeah. He still kind of is, like, in, 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 as many as he can fit into a 24-hour day. I remember the T-shirt guy telling me that sometimes they have to sit and wait on designs because, like, Vince wants to check him off. I'm, like, going, man, that's a guy that, like, of all the things they have to do, he even wants to make sure that the T-shirts carry out the same message, you know, the same vision that he has. That's, like, I can't imagine what his day is like with, like, Ken said. He is still a part of marketing meetings, uh, merchandising, all the creative stuff, television production, like that's probably why the guy sleeps two hours a night because he doesn't have to remember, because he's doing everything else. All yeah. roads lead to Vince for the WWE. Every single thing that has to get checked off has to ultimately be checked off. Yeah. Um, Ken, when you were there, you worked with, you know, a, a lot of guys that are now in WWE, Samoa Joe, Bobby Roode, um, AJ Styles, um, Eric Young's in NXT. Yeah. Um, are you surprised, uh, not, not talent-wise, because obviously all those guys are very talented, but that WWE would push guys um, when for a long time they wouldn't even hire guys that, that were from TNA? Yeah, and pleasantly surprised because it's just it's one of those things that it was so annoying for so long. That, well, if you work for, if you work for TNA, you can't go to WWE. My thought was always like, why would you blackball somebody for trying to earn a living? Yeah, for trying to feed their families. And... Do something that there's only a few places to do it in the first place. Um, I, I'm so, so excited every time one of those guys like Bobby Roode just made that debut and I'm blown away by it. I'm waiting for UI's debut on the main roster. It, the thing is, for years and years and years, everybody told those guys, no, WWE will never use you. They'll never take you. And not only have they taken them, but they're allowing them to, you know, they're blowing it out of the water. AJ's blowing it out of the water. Samoa Joe's blowing it out of the water. Bobby Ruth's done a hell of a job. Uh, Drew Galloway is killing it again down in NXT. So it's, it's really exciting. I think it's, a, it's an exciting time for wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, it just seemed like a very counterintuitive thing before when you guys have, you have guys that can make you money and you're not using them over uh, just a stupid reason. Um, yeah, I remember when I got to TNA, how dare they try to make a living for the, for the family? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'll tell you what happened is a, a huge thing to me is John Laurinaitis no longer being the head of talent relations where there was a few bad calls made, I think, on his part in bringing in TNA guys, and that kind of was – the, the understanding it was like they had like Frankie Kazarian came in and didn't work out all right and then right afterwards it was Monty Brown came in and didn't work out all right and then it was um Wildcat Chris Harris all right and it was like man these TNA guys suck and I remember when I got to TNA I was like the last for until pretty much Hogan came in like WWE guy to come in because they had like Tess came in and shit the bed and the Basham brothers came in and shit the bed and they all had bad attitudes and and at the time, you know, Jeff Hardy was just on his way out, and they said his last few months there, he would show up late or, you know, wouldn't show up at all. And it was like, even at TNA, they had a thing, like, the WWE guys are coming in, they suck, and they have huge attitudes. And then yeah. I, was, I feel like I was the last one guy for a long time that went right from WWE to TNA. I think it was, yeah, Matt Morgan was there before me. I think I was, like, the last one in a, in a while. Uh, 
and it was just it was just a bad bad representation on both sides. It was a bad representation of WWE guys coming to TNA. It was a bad representation of TNA guys. You know, like guys like when Ken came in and, and you know proved himself for a long time after RVD kind of fizzled out or everybody else. Like Ken was a guy that was like, oh yeah, maybe we were maybe we did have a misconception of the TNA guys. And I think eventually the same thing happened at WWE when they brought in like Austin Aries and Samoa Joe and whatever, and then eventually AJ. One that drove me crazy, I couldn't believe when I was at TNA, how many guys that had been, like Vince Russo especially, was just like, oh, these guys would never make it in WWE. It's like, these guys would never make it in WWE. He's talking about like AJ and Joe, and, and I, I don't think Bobby's name was ever in that mix. But I remember thinking, like, these guys, like, we call it like Titan training. When you go there and you're like someone that they want to use, like Vince will mold you and shape you into what he wants you to be. I'm going like, these guys are doing pretty good without having any Titan training so far. Like, once they get to WWE, like if like Vince literally just has to kind of polish them like a little bit maybe, and, and they're fine. Like they'll they'll be within as of within one year they'll be hot commodities. And didn't even think of me. You're like pretty much the day or month of their debut, they were hot commodities. Yeah. Um. Also, uh, an, another question for you and Ken from t- from Twitter. Uh, in the past, most people you know, have great things to say about The Undertaker. There have been a few um, instances where, you know, Taker affected their push or something like that. How, both, to both you, uh, to both Ken and Sean, how was it working with Taker backstage and, and how did he deal with you guys? Yeah, Taker definitely affected my push. He came up to me after I had worked, I worked Batista at the Great American Bash and I got busted open two different times in the match. I was covered Head to toe. And he came up and said, I saw your match with Batista. I liked it. I'm going to do business with you. And then he went to Vince and said the same. And we were married to each other for the better part of the next year. So it was fantastic to me. And, and at the time, like, I remember the first time I started working with him, uh, with Muhammad, like, the guy had so much heat on him, like, totally unwarranted, but just everybody hated him. And I remember the first time we went out to have a house show match, like Taker was just like, like yeah, you know, everyone hates you, but fuck them, let's just go tear the house down. Like, like they hate a lot of guys. And like, it, it was something that he never saw. Even though he was like the judge, and every time we'd go to wrestlers court, Taker was a judge. I would be like, you know, overseeing Muhammad's case, but then we'd get to the match, and he just treated him like anybody else. Same with um, when I worked with him with Mark and Mark uh, Henry and, and Kurt, and then even with Kali, they were having terrible matches. And Taker just would not – that's one of those things where right at any point in this thing, I thought Taker's going to go to Vince and just say, I don't want to do this anymore. And he never did. He went like four months of just terrible matches on house shows, on pay-per-views, on TVs. And every week we showed the TV, I'm like, ah, they're going to come up to us and tell us they're just blowing it off tonight. It'll be over. And they, and they didn't. He never he never once, at least in my understanding, he, he, I don't think Vince politics against them. And I feel like he was at Vince. I don't want to work with Kali anymore. He would have been like, fine. He never did. Every time you went to wrestlers court, how many times do you go? <laughs> anytime, anytime. Mark went twice, but I'm saying anytime you witness it, take yeah. it was the judge. So it's like even when Mark would get you know in trouble again, unwarranted. It was never anything that he should have gotten in trouble for. But then, um, so Taker would be like guilty, sentence him, and then like the next day they'd be like working together. Like, okay, buddy, what do you want to do? Like that was yesterday. This is today. Like, yeah, cool. Did you get sentenced too, or was it was it just Mark? The first one I didn't even get to go to. Like the first one, I remember we were in Japan, and they're all and I'm just I'm just wherever 
you, you, I would say your partner's heat is your heat. Whatever you do, your partner do. You guys are together. So and like, the worst thing you can do is bail on them. So I remember I was, I was we we're sitting there, and then Jericho just kind of felt that it was like it was. He just saw the the people that were there, and he was like, "This is bad." He was, "You need the little one." And Jacob went, "Nope." And just grabbed me by the collar and pulled me out. And I just I wasn't there for the first one. You need the little one. We were just like, maybe less than six months in. He goes. You need a little one? Nope. Just grab it. No, I'm going out to Rapongi and party. It's like 6 a.m. And then, uh, yeah, and then like that night, I think Mark's like four grand and like bar tabs, buying drinks and stuff. And and then the next one, it was some other country. I don't remember. But that one, I just sat with him. And then pretty much the same thing happened. It was, I don't even remember what the outcome of it was. It was just blah, blah, blah. You suck. You suck. Fuck you. You don't deserve this. You're a piece of shit. And just smile and nod. Was it, was it the punishment on one of them that he had to wear his head thing all the time? That was something they said as a rib to set up going into it. He was like they, they said that you have to wear it all the time, and I was like, that is a rib. They don't, you don't fucking do it. So then when they said go to wrestlers court, I was like, just put the fucking thing on. And so we just put our gimmicks on, and we went to wrestlers court wearing our fucking turbans. Like so, when you're Muhammad, like wasn't a part of the wrestling thing, so he doesn't. He didn't compute that, that how ridiculous that was. And then I was just telling him, like, just put it on and go in there. He's like, oh, we're going to look stupid. I'm like, that's the point. Like, the whole thing is ridiculous. Like, let's just, let's just go look like idiots. And then conduct ourselves as if everything is normal. So we're sitting there, like, in the fucking catering of a hotel with our turbans on. Just, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, but it's, it's really, if you, don't, if you don't know what a rib is, if you don't understand how things work, which you don't, if you haven't done this very long, you kind of don't, you don't see the sophomore humor in it. You know, like, he doesn't see, like, this is fun for them. I know it sucks for you, but it's fun for them. So just let them have fun, and then let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah, it's supposed to be, I mean, wrestler's court is supposed to be fun for everybody involved. It's not supposed to be this somber, negative thing. It's ribbing on the square. It's, hey, you fucked up, but at the same time, we're going to have a little fun, and, you know, everybody's going to have fun at your expense kind of thing. Right, it's, like it's fun for everybody but one person. What's that? It's fun for everybody but that one person. Yeah, right, yeah. Even then it can be fun, you know, it's what you make of it. Yeah. What's we the worst had the most wrestler's court when I was in TNA. Yeah, we took great out of court. Um, and uh, seriously, it was so much fun. Kurt Angle was the judge. Um, Abyss and Al Snow were the prosecuting attorneys. Rockstar Spud was the defense attorney. We had people getting called on the witness stand. It was just phenomenal. And it was it was well booked. And they actually, the night before, they went into a room somewhere and put it together. And it was just fantastic. We didn't want a TNA. It was fun. Like, it was way better. So the ones at WWE that I, I was sitting through, a couple of them were just boring because they were long-winded. But the ones at TNA were fun. Actually, there was only one at TNA I was a part of, and I was on trial. And Bubba was the judge, so obviously I had to get the best defense attorney you could get. So I got Devon to be my representative. <laughs> it, was, it was so much fun. And then Simon Diamond was the bailiff. And then we started, it was just on a TV day. And it was like, I think we had to start production at one or two or something. And, and it was like three o'clock. We're still in wrestlers' court. And Vince Russo was like coming. He was like, guys, you're going to get to work. Bailiff, take him out. Simon Diamond's throwing Russo out of the trailer. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Uh, do you, did you ever see, especially WWE, were there ever guys that took it too far, or uh, was it was it all pretty lighthearted for the most part? Oh, it wasn't lighthearted when I was in WWE. It was like grown men crying and stuff like that. Oh. I think actually, actually, I never. 
I never witnessed the proper wrestler's court when I was in WWE, but I just, there were several, I don't even know what you call them. Like, we'd be on the bus from one city to the next, and there's always a heel bus and a baby face bus when you're working for WWE. And when the top guys from the heel bus or from the baby face bus would come over and ride on the heel bus, you know shit was about to go down. And it would just be five hours of somebody getting berated. Just long-winded as fuck. Yeah. And it was one of those things, too, where, like, they would sell it so much that that's why I think it kept going on and on and on because at that time, there's so many people that hadn't been around wrestling a very long time. There was, like, Diva Search Girls and, and guys like Muhammad who have been on the job for less than a year that are in that position. So it's like they have – it's such a weird, weird world to be in. So – like I always thought, the best way to stop a rib is to not sell it. Like if I if I'm fucking poking the bear and the bear's annoyed, I'm just gonna keep poking it. But as soon as the bear says no selling, I'm like yeah, I'm gonna go poke someone else. You know, like so just go on and on. Like you know, one time was like it was like Melina or somebody they're yelling at. And she's like crying and selling and and maybe the people that were doing it were just were like if she just said it, okay, uh huh, yep, got it. I'm like all right, this is boring. Let's wrap it up. I want to go to bed or I want to go to a different bar or something like. Like, no, I do what I meant to do was I didn't mean to. What I was trying to, you know, you got to understand it this way. Like, ah, stop fighting it. Just like, let's let it. Just like, own up to it and take your, take your punishment. Yeah. And why you used to say that, uh, used to say that's when the hyenas come out. You know, yeah, sell for them. <laughs> um, now, uh, someone reportedly with a lot of heat right now, Enzo Amore, uh, he got moved to the cruiserweight division. Uh, yeah, Sean, your your brother Arya uh, is in the cruiserweight division. He's, you know, a couple of weeks he'll look like he's getting a push. Uh, you know, he's got the look. Yeah, he's uh, you know, he's got that star quality. And then it changes. You know, uh, a couple of weeks ago it looked like Cedric Alexander was getting a push, and that quickly changed. Now you got Enzo in there. Do you think Enzo is a good move? Uh, he's the one that's gonna. It's gonna when it's all said and done. I think it's gonna be inconsequential to that. Sometimes they just shuffle you around because they don't know what to do with you. That that was my kiss of death. Is like the last year at WWE, I was on SmackDown, ECW, and Raw, where they just kept, uh, "What are we gonna do here? Nothing. Let's move here. Now oh, we got nothing. Now let's move here. We got nothing." So the guys in a hot act. They split up the hot act. They, the partners injured. They're like, "Well, what do we do with him? Like, uh, let's just put him here." And it already looks like it's not a good fit. So what are you gonna do next? Put him on SmackDown, brother. Ah, it doesn't work here either. And then once you get in that mix, it's so much easier to be like, "What other toys do we have in the toy box?" Instead of fixing the one you have yeah i think a lot of times you hear that like so-and-so has heat and i think it's ill-founded I, I don't think i mean it's maybe it's possible he did something in the locker room that pissed everybody off but I think it's, most, yeah. most of the time it's just we don't know what to do with this guy yeah uh, what would you say sean i think his is legit like, oh, really? i haven't heard anything about it i'm just saying if you're if you're a big deal on raw because the office says you're a big deal. Right? You're really just a developmental guy in a hot act. And they move you to 205 or whatever show, and, and you're talking to the other guys that, A, have been doing this for 10, 15 years. B, they might be new to this show, but in reality, the show is new. Like, you're new to this show, and now you're talking to guys who haven't been in this, and you're, well, you see, on Raw, we did it this way, and we do it this way, and we, you know. That happened at Batista, where he got him a little bit of heat when he first moved to SmackDown, where he just kind of, it felt like a demotion. So, you know, him and Booker T actually kind of was the element that started the fight they had once. And um, I think he's already ruffling feathers at 205, talking down to guys like 
well, you know, you really need to be doing it this way. And like, and all there's no psychology in that. You're all flips and dips and you're, everyone's like, you're the worst wrestler in the fucking car. Who are you to tell? It, even if it is too much flippy dippy, like you can't even do the flippy dippy or the basic stuff. <laughs> wow. Um, through those type of acts. And like I said, it'll, who knows? Sometimes guys do 180s and they become the most useful, productive guy in the show. And sometimes they don't, that type of shit is kind of like, ah, they have a bullseye on my back. Like, ah, they weren't fair to me. And they're buried me or made me look bad. It's, you never know which way it's going to go. When I was, when we were there, the Miz had so much heat. And it was for the fact that he wasn't involved in wrestling. You know, he didn't come up and work independence or territories and was just handed this thing, you know, everybody thought. And, and plus, he was um, – he wasn't hard to get along with, but he just wasn't very – his personality wasn't that big. He was just kind of shy and quiet in the back. And then everything anybody would do to him, he would sell it. So he got, you know, tons and tons of heat. But here we are, 10 years later, he's done all right for himself. Yeah. Perfect example. Perfect example of a guy that can do a 180 or a guy that could just become, you know, Homer Cannon, where he's just like, fuck it, I can't – everyone hates me, I'll quit, you know. Yeah. I can't remember what the fuck that is. Did, did the Miz do anything uh, while you were there to like turn the corner, or was it just kind of a gradual laying off of him? Not while I was there. I, I don't. I think I'll tell you what, he's a guy that I don't. I didn't see the. He was a guy like Muhammad, where I understood why people were upset with him, but I never really seen him do anything that would warrant that. Miz, like like Ken said, he's just shy, is quiet. Same with Matt Stryker, just kind of shy, quiet. I didn't see them going up and throwing all, uh, you know, this is the way I would do it, or we do it on SmackDown this way, or we do it on Raw this way, like, we do it on the A-Show this way, like, you guys listen to, like, I never saw anything like that on either one of them, um, but I, I, I don't know, do you remember, Ken? I, just, I don't remember Miz doing anything that warranted a seat, or really Muhammad, but Miz is a perfect example of a guy that just kind of, okay. He was an easy target. He was an easy target because he took it on the chin and didn't really fight back. And, you know, not that you should fight back all the time, but, um, you know, you should. Because there, there were some times, um, Morrison one time, uh, Johnny Nitro, Johnny Mundo, had, I don't know, uh, JBL yelled at him for something. And Morrison fired back at him. And after that, it was like, okay, he's okay. He can, set, he can stick up for himself. He's not a cunt. But I think... <laughs> I think that Miz kind of, at least when I was there, he just took stuff. I remember one time uh, somebody took a, took a Ziploc bag and filled it with, went around the hotel and filled it with soaps and shampoos and conditioners and all that stuff. And then like slid the open end of the, the Ziploc bag under his door in his hotel and stomped on the bag and it shot all over his room, apparently. But, uh, you know, he came down to the bus, and everybody's like, look at him, look at him, look at him, look at him. And he was, he was selling it, and he was selling it hard. You know, instead of just acting like nothing happened. Um, or if you find out who it was, go up and punch him in the eye. You know? <laughs> That's uh, actually Mika in our chat was just asking that. Have you ever seen someone get so pissed uh, about ribbing that they got violent or uh, responded violently? I don't know, I mean, a rib, a rib, I've never seen a battle. I don't know if you have like a rib, like 
I remember one time, like, uh, Batista stole my shoes, and I, I just didn't say anything. I just went, got on the bus with no shoes and sat down and just went to the hotel room, woke up the next morning, went to the mall and bought a new pair of shoes and went to the next town. I didn't say a word, and I didn't know who it was until, like, a couple weeks later, Batista came up to me. He's like, he's like oh, you know, you, you, I forgot how it came up to me, but he told me, he's like, I took your shoes. I was like, oh, okay. You know, like, <laughs> but it was one of those things where I was like, guys, who took my shoes? Someone tell me who took my shoes. Like, what happened to me every fucking night? But even if I'd known who'd done it, I don't think I would have punched anyone in the eye over it. If I ever got angry or upset with somebody, it was definitely not over a rib. Or a rib was never bad enough would make me want to do that. It was, all, it was all, maybe just been a personality thing if I ever got that upset with someone. Yeah. Um, also, uh, real quick, Shelton Benjamin returned to WWE last night. Um, he, uh, it's been seven years since he was last with the company. Have you, Ken, you've worked with Shelton, right? I mean, he's a Minneapolis guy. You guys know him pretty well? Oh, yeah. Yep. I, in fact, when we were just coming up, when we would go to you know, Sean and uh, ODB and I would go to WWE events just as an extra, Shelton was a guy that really kind of found out that we were from the Midwest, found out that we weren't idiots, and really kind of took us under his wing. And we just, just became friends. I mean, I remember he would come over because – he was a Minneapolis guy. I was a Minneapolis guy. He'd come over and just play video games. And I'd ask him questions and bounce stuff off. And he'd come to our shows at First Avenue. So he was always super supportive. He's kind of guy that, um, like, we, we, we today now have an idea of what people are looking for. But when we were coming up, we really were clueless. We didn't have any idea what WWE wanted, for example. And, like, Shell was a guy that really helped us be like, well, they, generally they like this. They kind of sort of hate, always hate this. You know, you want to shy away from this. And I remember sometimes you would bring them like hot independent stuff, like stuff that, you know, Ring of Honor stuff or whatever people were talking about. I was like, hey, this is the kind of shit that's around where we're wrestling. And they're like, okay, see stuff like that. Like they would say, this is no good, but stuff like that they might like. And and you really kind of told us specifically what WWE was looking for and it really helped us. Be like, okay, if this is what they want, let's work on this and work on that. I really feel like, from going from the completely unknown, like we literally were just trying everything. Like sometimes we'd send them pictures of new gear. Sometimes we'd send them tag matches. Sometimes we'd send them like high flying shit. Sometimes we'd send them just basic ground wrestling. We really had no idea what they wanted or what they were looking for because there's nobody to tell us. And he really helped kind of shape like, well, generally they sort of like this type of stuff. You know, generally they don't like this kind of stuff. And, and it really helped us uh, learn and train and get better for something that they want to do. Yeah, you know what? Speaking of that sort of mentality is kind of what we are trying to accomplish with the academy. Um, as Dara just pointed out, you know, we didn't have somebody, at least for the first few years, we didn't have somebody that could lead us by the hand and say, like, don't do this, do this. And it's so rewarding to be able to watch our students make a mistake in the ring at camp and be able to tell them, hey, you don't want to do that. Here's why you don't want to do that. And or you know, here's a, a huge shortcut. We went all the way around the, the world to cross the cross the street and we can see the gears actually turning. You know, sometimes you give people advice and they just like, uh -huh, yeah, yeah, and they go do it anyway and they fuck up and that's just life. But um 
when we can actually see the gears turning and, they, and we can see them applying what we've told them, it's, it's super rewarding. And, and guys, if we know there's a lot of people that visit the site that uh, want to be a pro wrestler or dreamt of being a pro wrestler, uh, you guys check out the Academy Pro Wrestling. Your um, fall seminar starts in October, right? Yep, October 6th. We have our fall class that's starting. Um, we have a few spots left in that one. They, they fill up as quicker as closer we get to the date. So, you know, September is probably the, the go-home stretch of spots filling up faster. So if anyone wants to, they can go online to academyprowrestling.com. If they're able to come to the Twin Cities area, they can schedule a consultation to come in and tour the facility and meet the coaches, meet myself and Ken. We can kind of show them uh, what training is like, what we have going on. If not, we can also answer questions by email. There's a lot of information you need on our site. Um, and then on October 30th, we have Sean coming in for a seminar. Again, it's open to the public. You can, for $50, which is crazy how cheap that is. <laughs> for 50 bucks, you can learn from like one of the best in the business for our, from zero wrestling matches to up and running pro wrestlers. And for $75, if you want, you can participate with the people that have less than 20 professional matches uh, or people 20 plus be in both classes and um, participate in the one of your level and watch the one outside your experience level, which you'd still learn so much just by, by watching and learning, even though it's stuff you physically haven't or aren't able capable of doing yet. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these conventions and stuff, 50 bucks will get you an autograph and a photo. And right. here you got trained by one of the best in the business, a uh, guy who was ahead of his time, uh, member of the NWO, the Click, DX, and uh, and if you've had no matches ever, you could be a part of this. So, uh, first seminar six thirty to eight thirty for people that have had zero to twenty matches, and then eight thirty to ten thirty for if you've had over twenty professional matches. Uh, these kind of these kind of offers don't come around often, so uh, you know take advantage of it. Oh, that's crazy. I didn't even think about that. Those sem those uh, conventions are expensive. Yeah, for 50 bucks, you get like an 8 by 10 and maybe a photo or something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And guys, it, it was great having you guys on. It's always a lot of fun. We, we love having you guys on. Hopefully, we'll have you guys on again soon. Thanks, Raj. Thank uh, you. All right, Ken. All right, Sean. Take care. We'll talk yeah. to you soon. Okay. Bye. All right, Chris. We got SmackDown to talk about. Yes, sir, and um, thanks to those guys for hanging out with us. Uh, couldn't get a word in edgewise, but that's the way we like it. Uh, those are super mouth. fun guys to have, great stories, that kind of thing. So uh, so it's a really good stuff there. But SmackDown last night um, started off a little, little rough for me. I think some people thought this opening segment was so bad that it was good. Um, I did not, to where uh, the Singh brothers came out and pretty much apologized to all of India all of Asia, and the Maharaja himself, they go to kiss his feet. Uh, this is just, you know, a lot of overacting on purpose here, I think, um, until Nakamura comes out, and then Orton and Rusev as well to set up the tag match for later that night. But just a quick note, too, they had already advertised the main event before this segment. So it's like we knew who was coming out. They could at least wait five more minutes, right? Yeah, absolutely. Make it look organic. Like this match happened because of, you know, something that happened, you know, in the beginning, as opposed to uh, we have this match already. You guys know about it. Now let's do the build to it. Um, yeah, I thought the opening segment, as soon as I saw it, I lost interest in this episode. I was like, mm -hmm. uh, this is looks like it's just going to be a nothing, you know, filler. You know, I, I made the uh, 
I made the analogy uh, on Monday about how much of WWE is like preseason football where the matches don't mean anything. It's just, you're just watching, you know, preseason football. You're just watching a game that doesn't mean anything for a couple of weeks. And that's what this show felt like. It was just watching a show that nothing really happened. Kind of the same stuff as last week. Uh, and uh, the opening segment, you just tipped you off that uh, this is a skippable show. Yeah. I mean, the rest of it, I think got, better as time went on uh but that opener absolutely did not do much for me next up something that um i've been looking forward to since the return last week shelton benjamin and chad gable they get the match up against the ascension who for you know lack of better terms have become the intro jobber team um to to the to the teams they want to push um gable and, and benjamin with a you know, a good-looking short match uh, here, good victory. But they did tease a little bit of tension, a little one-up, one-upsmanship within the match. Um, you know, Shelton shot Chad a couple of in- interesting glares. Um, so they're sowing some seeds here, and, and I think it's good to, to start off slow. But I thought they looked good. Shelton looked in great shape. And I like their, their new theme as well. It's funny. I never thought of Shelton as a, as a big guy. Um, but he looked next absolutely, <laughs> he looked absolutely <laughs> enormous next to Gable. Um, yeah, you know, I think Shelton, uh, he's got a bit of steam for not being around for a long time. I would have not mm-hmm. put him in the tag division right off the bat. I would have given him a bit of a singles run, uh, tried it out, you know, and then, and then probably moved to the tag division. But, you know, they need, they need something in the tag division. It's pretty much dead outside the Usos and New Day. So, mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, so, you know, this was fine. It was what it should have been. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I thought, they, I thought they looked good. And of all of the new themes, like, apparently it's Christmas at the CFO's production room or, or whoever's been producing all these new things because Aiden English got another song later. Uh, we had a couple of new things again on Raw this week. I, I think um, CFO's had some time off the because... For, for Gable and... Benjamin, but this is the rare one of the new ones that I actually liked. Uh, what about you? Uh, I'll have to hear it again. It sounded generic. It was kind of, a, it was kind of generic, but at least it, it fit their profile a little bit, I thought. I guess. I don't know. I think these new themes have just sucked um, for a while. I mean, when I think of Big Cass, Big Cass has got way better from what mm-hmm. they first started out Well, with. it took a step in the right direction. Still not great, but definitely better than the original. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, not everyone could have a great theme. You know, you're, uh, you can tell how much time and effort they put into it by who they're pushing. Exactly. Um, they announced New Day for Usos later that night. Um, winner gets to pick the stipulation for the title match. And then AJ Styles' U.S. Open Challenge is up shortly. Uh, Baron Corbin backstage with Renee Young. Of course, as always, he's back to repeating the question. He was just asked by the interviewer. That is a pet peeve of mine. That has to be a uh, performance center trait that they teach in promo class because a lot of people do it or they'll say, you see, or they'll break out the you people thing if you're a heel. I mean, Baron Corbin we've seen in a more natural setting is actually a pretty good promo. And when he has to recite these lines, I don't, I, I just don't see him as believable. Um, but what what do you think of just sort of those little pet peeves and, and the way they write promos lately? Well, I think I think Corbin's promos have always needed a little work. Um, yeah, I, I mean that's always been one of his, his you know his down spots, I guess. Um, 
Yeah, I mean this whole this whole thing. Uh, they kind of made two guys look like shit. Honestly, <laughs> you know, Corbin screwed up his run in. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they made him look you know pretty uh, pretty impotent. And then uh, Ty Dillinger, you know, he gets beaten. He t- accepts the open challenge and gets beaten like a minute. Uh, so, you know, there's your there's the NXT guys, and and you know, especially with yeah, Ty, people were so excited about. Them him debuting on the main roster and this is what they're doing with him. So I, I hope they come up with something else for him, put him in a tag team because he's, he's fading fast. It's clear that they don't see him as a, as a star. For sure. Um, but in the little two minute match, Dillinger actually got a lot in. If you think about it, um, I think they were just, they're wanting to keep this short and sweet. They wanted to continue the, the Corbin burial in a sense, because, um, you know, after the quick win, Styles retained his title. Uh, Corbin came back in for an attack, and Styles made him look like a complete goof again. Yeah, um, I mean, I thought so, I thought Ty looked like a goof too. I mean, he got a little offense in, but it, yeah. he, there's only so you can only look so good in a two minute loss. Right, but he he did get a lot in that short time. I would like to see an extended match with him if they even think of him in that regard. But like you said, I don't think they do. He's sort of a smaller guy. He's got some age on him. Send him back to NXT. Let him be that player coach that I think he was originally slated to be. But um, not a whole lot shown in this match. Um, like I said, Corbin whiffs on an attack after the match. Um, Jinder Mahal and Rusev are backstage after that, preparing for their main event as they team up against Orton and Nakamura. Jinder sort of calls Rusev his friend, but Rusev is... I guess a little bit more of character development tonight or last night. He pretty much said, I want a shot at the title more or less. Uh, And I I appreciate the honesty. And we know that that was how he was supposed to come back from his injury. And they completely dropped that angle. But I I like, I thought this was slightly refreshing, even though it was very simple. Yeah. I kind of liked how they played off of, because they had palms earlier in the year when they were a tag team. And man, yeah, I was about it's... to say, the League of Nations apparently uh, is <laughs> not thought of as a thing anymore. Uh, well, they weren't in the League of Nations. Oh, that's right. Well, really yeah, they were, just, they were just a, a random tag okay. team for like a, a month and a half. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, you know, I hate seeing Rusev, you know. <laughs> I mean, he, he talks about wanting the title, then gets beat clean in this. Got beat in seconds at SummerSlam. Yeah. I just think he, it's such a... You're you're wasting such a valuable investment, and he's absolutely hilarious. He's gold. Um, he, and he, I, I would love to see him as a babyface with Lana. I think those two as a babyface couple would take off, but I, I don't think we'll ever get to see that option since they're pretty much giving Tamina the, the Rusev treatment with Lana right now. But we'll get into that in just a second. Um, next up, Mike Canellis. After several weeks off television, yeah. Speaking of being um, buried, right? Covering his story, um, but in a, in a showcase position here, where he uh, basically sold his behind off for Bobby Roode, um, who is the face in this situation, and Bobby Roode as a face, second week in a row. I thought maybe they would show a little more different side of him this this week, but no such luck. He's kind of the same shtick as last week, just turned up even more. I thought, um, but the crowd seemed to eat it up. They didn't really pop yeah. for his entrance, but they popped for the glorious chant, um, you know, where, where he sort of winds it up a little bit. So at least he has that going for him, even though the Arkansas crowd was 
uh, not exactly, um, I guess, an IWC-type crowd. Yeah, and I think um, – I just think Root is a heel. I just think he's a little miscast as a babyface. Yeah, his entrance is a babyface entrance because people love that song and when he does the glorious thing. But I think his mannerisms and everything to someone that's never watched him, and if you didn't see the entrance, you would you'd just say, man, this guy's kind of an arrogant prick. And uh, he just has a natural heel. Um, but, you know, definitely try it. I mean, they got him as a babyface. Try it out. See how it works. Um, but when I see him, it just, it just doesn't seem right. Um, but, man, you know, I, I, they're doing, I guess, a slower build for Rude. They didn't throw him right into the top mix. Um, but, you know, and, and, and that, could, that could work well for him. So, um, you know, good showcase match. I feel bad for Mike Kanellis. Uh, it seems like he was never really even given a shot. And um, if I were him, I'd, I'd say, hey, man, you know, Triple H, kiss up to his ego and say, you know, I really think NXT can help me out. <laughs> and, uh, and that's the type of gimmick that I think would not necessarily work on the main roster. But if you look at, like, the full sale crowds, that type of gimmick might actually get over by accident. If or you, come up if with If you look new- at, like, Adam Rose or somebody like that who was super over in NXT – came to the main roster and completely flopped. Um, I think the opposite could happen here. No, he needs to drop that gimmick. He needs to go to NXT and come up with something different because you already, that, because then once he's back on the main roster, it'll be the same thing if he keeps that gimmick. So regardless if he gets over in NXT with it or not, it's not a main roster, uh, even mid-level intercontinental U.S. title gimmick. So just needs needs to drop it. Just be, you know, Mike Bennett and, uh, you know, the, the Miracle Mike Bennett gimmick in TNA was way better than, than mm-hmm. this than this crap. So um, hopefully hopefully he can figure it out because his career trajectory is not uh, it's not going the is not in the right area, pointing at the right area right now. Yeah. Uh, next up, we had Aiden English in the ring doing a little operatic um, number. Kevin Owens comes out. And kindly asks him to leave the ring, and Aiden does so without much of a punch, uh, which I thought was interesting. A little heel-on-heel sincerity there. Um, but Owens goes on to talk about the Shane McMahon interference from last week where he took over Corbin's spot as the referee. And um, English gets a matchup up next versus Sami Zayn. Uh, I thought Kevin Owens' promo was good. And then whenever the new match started, I was like, wait a minute. Uh, Brian, I can't remember how you pronounce his last name, Guyan. I thought his shirt looks a little poofy. Um, it, it didn't look like the, the rudimentary skin-tight referee shirt that they use nine times out of ten. I'm like, what? Well, something's going on here. And then lo and behold, Kevin Owens comes out, rips it off, puts it on, and uh, shows his prowess as a zebra. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I thought this was the best thing on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that. I mean, it's stupid at first that he could become the ref in Calc 3, but then they explained that later and Shane reversed Exactly, which I thought so, was yeah, so it, oh, good continuity by then, which is what we rarely see, but I thought that was really smart explanation. Absolutely. So, you know, from it was entertaining, Owens, it was funny, and then Shane mm-hmm. overturned the stupidity of it, so it all made sense at the end. It furthered the storyline without them having to do something typical. It was different, uh, and uh, I, I enjoyed it. This was, uh, like I said, I thought this was the best thing on the show. I thought Owens was great. His pop-up powerbomb in the ref shirt to Sammy was awesome. Uh, Aiden was good in this. I liked him, you know, just uh, 
bowing away and, and still getting a win, still, you know, looking a little strong because he, he's become a nice little utility player in the last few weeks, I think. Um, yeah, I'd like to see him get just, a little more a of a good push. part of the show that he, he's a guy that you can go out there, get a little heat from. He's won. He, his record's probably around the 500 mark here lately, even though he's a guy that you typically would trot out there to to beat and, you know, get like a Bobby Root over. But um, his record, you know, by any means necessary, I guess he's had a couple of iffy wins. I guess this one got it sponged, but uh, his win loss record actually hasn't been too bad lately. So he's becoming a nice little utility player. Yeah. Someone's bringing up that Shane did the same thing earlier. He did, but he's the commissioner. You know, a random wrestler going in and, and putting on a ref shirt doesn't you shouldn't make a match official. Shane doing it, it's a little right. different story. Um, next up, we had Dolph Ziggler backstage. Still very old man, get off my yard, disgruntled Dolph Ziggler. Brings up all of the different acts and gimmicks that are over right now or they've given and not really over. Um, and he says Arkansas is not worthy of debuting his new new deal that it, he's planning something big and just like you said last week he'll debut it next week do you think we even see it next week or do they draw this out forever and ever and then it's going to be a big disappointment when he finally does come out um yeah i mean i don't i, I don't know if i care enough um if, if it were up to me i'd, I'd dra drag it out and then have him debut it at, at the next pay-per-view but the next pay-per-view is not for a month and a half so that's probably way too long I mean, it was the same promo as last week, pretty much, except the one thing that surprised me was him calling Finn Balor a charisma vacuum. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. That, that was the one line that stuck out to me. And, yeah, because usually – completely wrong. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that stuff's scripted, you know, from the, the creative team. And, and yeah. they, they wouldn't do something like that unless they had the, uh, you know, the word from, you know, management. So, uh yeah, I found I found that found that interesting. Yeah, that was the only thing that sort of sort of caught me off guard slightly. The rest of it was his usual um, complaining type shtick. But uh, next up, another good match between these two teams. I thought um, Usos and New Day. Usos get the wind with a <clears throat> excuse me a handful of tights. They get to pick the stipulation for their next title match, which. Uh, is that going to be anytime soon, or do you think they're going to drag this out to the next pay-per-view as well? Man, the, pay the next pay-per-view is so long that, yeah, I don't know. That's, that seems like a long time to drag out uh, a tag team. Uh, Especially one that's already been together for, you know, two or three months. Yeah, so I can period. see them. I can almost see them doing another title change with New Day winning again before the next pay-per-view and then uh, the, the rematch at the pay-per-view. So I, I still think these teams are tied to each other for a while. Um, I, and uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, but I think that that first title match will happen sooner than later. New Day's—they've taken a lot of losses lately, so they could use a—they could use a win. Uh, the the problem with New Day is baby faces, is that when a heel team beats them, it's two heels laying out three baby faces, so it makes them look mm -hmm. extra weak. Um, like at SummerSlam, you had these two heels and all three baby faces just laying all over the place. So. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's an issue with the with the three the three man group dynamic as, as a babyface. Two and a half babyfaces this week as Xavier Woods, as we reported, a pretty much first. Um, yeah, yeah, we reported first. Um, suffered an injury at a live event earlier. Um, I guess over the weekend, and 
goes on uh, out the sign that says it's sore or I'm sore, pretty much giving us a diagnosis. uh, But looks to be about two to four weeks with a sprained knee. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, it it depends on how how minor the sprain is. It could be a week, um, uh, up to four weeks is what it sounds like. He, uh, yeah, it happened at a Monday night uh, a show on Monday night in Texarkana. Am I saying that right? In Texarkana, 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 Arkansas. Um, so yeah, it's nothing too serious. So yeah, he, he won't be out yeah, for that's, too long. Uh, that's good to hear. Um, and if it gets him a couple of weeks off, if they're going to spread this out for another month or two, since there's what, seven, seven more weeks to the next SmackDown pay-per-view. Um, yeah. yeah. so I mean, th- th- that actually wouldn't be a bad thing. They're, they're probably going to do the whole singles matchup things, uh, unless they pull the trigger, like you said, and, and do another title match just a couple of weeks down the road to preface yeah. the, the next pay-per-view, but, yeah. um, so, yeah, just a MCL spring. Um, <clears throat> we didn't, I don't think we talked about this. Yeah. It, it was unknown on Monday. Um, we, we had speculated that Samoa Joe might've gotten injured uh, during Monday's podcast, but mm-hmm. turns out he was uh, four to six weeks knee injury. Man, these are hitting like crazy right now. Big Cass is out with a knee injury. Uh, his is serious, obviously yeah. uh, had surgery. It won't, won't be back till it seems like it could be after WrestleMania, like in May. Um, these things seem to come in groups, uh, and they're contagious for whatever reason. This happened a couple of years ago where four or five fairly important people, I guess it was Rollins, Balor, and a couple more, uh, were out all at, at the same time. So thankfully, most of these are not as serious, uh, with the exception of Cass, and most of them will be back in, in the ring in no time. Um, yeah, all of them within had, the next couple months. Asuka, uh, yeah, yeah Asuka, also yeah. in the next couple months. And I kept thinking that was a work, but I guess this is just a way to let that collarbone injury heal if it is indeed um, an actual no, it's, it's, injury it's, it's, while it's they def- quote-unquote negotiate her to the main roster. It's definitely legit. Um, okay. Now, whether – now, wh- where she goes, that, that'll be interesting to see. I mean, we speculated on Monday. Um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I think Asuka and Charlotte is the best match that they can book. Uh, mm-hmm. So, um, for that reason, I'd like to see her on SmackDown. Um, plus, on Raw, Vince's hands are, you know, I mean, his hands are all over both shows, but they're way more, you know, all over Raw. And uh, I don't know how uh, how he book her. I, you know, I just have a feeling yep. that um, he, he wouldn't make the best use of her. So we'll see. And we've seen a lot of. We've seen a lot of. Notice this spot or not? Um, where Oscar had. Ember Moon in a cross arm breaker, and uh, she was taunting Becky Lynch um, from ringside. And Becky Lynch stood up, and they were sort of jaw jacking back and forth while uh, she had Ember in, in the arm uh, cross arm breaker. So that could be a little storytelling, a little foreshadowing, possibly. I wouldn't mind seeing that match at all. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think it'd all be good. It's just how, how she's used. So we'll see. Yep. Uh, from one women's segment to another, Dasha Fuentes backstage with Carmella and James Ellsworth. Ellsworth takes over the interview, does a better job than Dasha does. Uh, that's just a personal opinion. <laughs> um, I'm just not a Dasha Fuentes fan. She She's so unnatural with her segues and whatnot. But um, Ellsworth takes over the segment. Then you have the typical, where did these people come from? They step in from two steps off camera to end the in the picture, and they say their two lines back and forth. 
um, typical women's promo segment here where they just each take turns and have little burns. But my favorite line of the whole thing was uh, Natalia said uh, that she was going to make Carmella the Baron Corbin of the women's division about the Money in the Bank briefcase. And I was like, what did Corbin do for them to shoehorn him into a women's promo segment? Um, that, I thought that was that, – that, that hurt a little bit. Yeah, that was a pretty serious bird. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like they're being too uh, subtle no. <laughs> about, <laughs> about where Corbin is right now. So, uh, yeah, that was the, the highlight of that promo. For sure. But really, how big of a demotion is a U.S. title feud with AJ Styles, if you think about it? Uh, um, now, granted, he hasn't gotten any shots in yet, but – that's not really a bad place to be on the card if you're trying to sort of reestablish yourself. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a it's a fall from being near the top and having a world title, you know, world title reign, uh, which which most people with the Money in the Bank briefcase get. Right. So uh, that's a serious fall, and and seeing how he's booked so far in this IC title, I mean, uh, U.S. title feud, uh, it's not looking good for him. But we'll see. Um, if he comes out on top and he gets a title uh, reign, then then you know then it then it worked out for him. And we keep rolling with the women's segment as Lana is out to introduce Tamina. She's sort of given her the full introduction type treatment that she gave Rusev. Tamina takes on a jobber named Tina Stock. I believe somebody had tweeted us the actual identity. I'm not uh, that name is escaping me right now, but. Uh, yeah, I, I got the it. Kentucky somewhere. area, I think, is where she's from. Uh, yeah, let me. Um, uh, I'll see if I can find it. Uh, okay, but either way, Tamina with a fairly quick win, lots of let's go jobber chants as per usual in jobber matches here lately. So, Lana had a microphone the entire match and was coaching from the sidelines. So is that not a slightly unfair advantage that you get a, a vocal coach with a microphone? Okay, I'm obviously looking a little too deep there, a little, little off the cuff. But uh, she's given Tamina the full Rusev thing. This is exactly how Rusev started. Do you think they go the full gamut with her and, and give her essentially a, close to a title program or at least reestablish her dominance, that being Tamina? Yeah, it looks like they're trying to make her the next Nia Jax. I don't see it working. Uh, the crowd was dead. I mean, it was that kind of reaction where it's not like heel heat that she's getting. It's, uh, I do not want to see this, and I'm thinking about going to the bathroom. This is that kind of heat. Um, yeah, I thought it, this sucked, and it, it, she could be doing that exact same thing with Rusev, and it was way more effective, and you could build a main event guy. Um, and, I, you know, I like Tamina. Uh, she, you know, uh, she's, she's not the best. She's not a re- really good worker or anything, but... Um, I think she has a unique look and 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 could be used in a you know in a, in a certain role maybe. But and, and she's I not necessarily think... getting any younger either. She's one of the the older women on the roster, I think. Um, so I sort of now or never with her and, and probably Natalia as well. Yeah. So I, you know, so I'm not totally against the the pairing. I just think that she should have Rusev too because I think that's a waste. So you could have her manage both Rusev and Tamina. And honestly, Lana is better in that manager role than as a wrestler. So. Oh, absolutely. And and you would think this probably ends up uh, in the future, you know, de- degrading down, and we'll probably get a Lana versus Tamina match. They're gonna 
build up Tamina, I think, to where she looks good, and then you'll get Lana to come up with the banana peel type of win to get that baby face pop. Um, I wonder if that's where it's going, but at least that's that's my general consensus on, on the future of this feud. But hopefully they get there sooner rather than later. Um, but up next, and I love that these guys are no longer considered wrestlers at this point. And that's Brizongo. Um, they've just become a program within a program with the Fashion Files. And it's normally the best five minutes of the week or close to it. Um, they did a lot of their original type stuff. They didn't really play off of too much uh, as far as old television programs this week. They did a lot of their own stuff. Uh, and is this a title? No, it's a belt. Or is it <laughs> and that kind of thing? That, that line had me absolutely rolling and may have woke the baby up at that point. But uh, yeah, that was the no, best. another good segment from these guys. Yeah, and that, that line was the, the best thing on the show was that, that line. Um, where he said, that's a title. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, these things are entertaining. Um, I don't know if this is ever going to end. You know, there, there were yeah, rumors that was, it was going to result in Harper and Rowan appearing. And uh, I don't know. I just speculation. And now that they're starting, quote unquote, season two, I know, I think it was Dave Meltzer that was speculating that we would see the perpetrators this week. But like I said, now that they're starting season two, they, they might let it go for a little bit. Yeah, I think it was actually Brian Alvarez. That, that's, was it? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it's too silly for Harper and Rowan to be in. I think you have just a comedy payoff. And then in the ring, you have Harper and Rowan return and kick the shit out of these guys and then build a program that way. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I, I, at least that's how I do it because I think it immediately takes away any um, any uh, uh, intimidation from them if they show up in in one of these skits. Yeah, but it yeah, is entertaining, and, and it isn't. You know, I I am still getting a kick out of them. They haven't gotten old to me yet. You know, and, and same thing if it was to be like the debut of Authors of Pain, it. And you could do like a, a matrix of, of sorts to where the different hints they were dropping. Uh, I saw some folks on Twitter sort of saying the artist and the authors, and there were some different name drops there that could lend you to that thing. And if it's not going to be Harper and Rowan, that was going to be my second choice, Authors of Pain. But And they seem almost ready to come up now, even though they're still kind of green. They've only been in the business for a couple of years, but... They, they've shown themselves nicely in NXT, so uh, besides the Ascension, you really don't have that big behemoth type of tag team on SmackDown, so that, that could be something, but uh, hopefully it'll, it'll be a while before we get that payoff. Yeah. All right. Up next, we had the main event, Randy Orton and Shinsuke Nakamura versus Jinder Mahal and Rusev. This was pretty good. Um, I mean... Once I saw, okay, they're going to go ahead and do a tag match for the main event. You know, the, plus they've been advertising Nakamura and Orton all night long, and they're teaming tonight. I'm like, oh, here we go. We're going to tease the tension, and they did at the end. But first of all, what did you think of the match and uh, the victors, which I believe were the faces? Yeah, I mean, the match was fine. Um, you know, again. Uh, there's no real stakes or anything in this match. I think if they could have easily made a step that um, if Orton or Nakamura got the win, you know, 
they would face each other for, uh, you know, uh, with the winner getting a title shot. And that would add a little intrigue to the match. Um, or if Jinder's team won, then Jinder can name his opponent and, you know, have Rusev say, well, if, you, if we win, I want to be, you know, I want to get the next title shot. So that way you set up some storylines to, sure. to where the match means something. Uh, otherwise, I mean, it was, otherwise it was just a meaningless match, but it was, it was, it was fine. I liked the Orton RKO at the end on Nakamura. Um, but yeah, other than that, I thought it was, it was, it was there. Do you think we're seeing a couple of, of minor holes in Mahal's work because we saw the botched finish last week or, or during the title match with Nakamura, and then this week he slightly botched, um, his feet fell off the ropes during the, the draping DDT that Orton does? I mean, do you, do you think you put that on Mahal, or is it just sort of uh, you know, a freak accident of sorts? I mean, it was an accident, but you know, Mahal is – I've been saying this for months. Um, you took him from being a prelim guy who lost three-minute matches to trying to have main event matches, you know, r- right away, as opposed to getting ready for that spot. Um, holes in Mahal's game. I've been saying that for months uh, since they gave him the push. Uh, he hasn't had a real good match yet. Um, I think he's done a great job as far as improving his look, his facials. Um, and, yeah, I don't mean just his physique. I mean, his facials, right. how he presents himself. He looks like a star. Mm-hmm. So I definitely, you know, I definitely see them pushing him. I just don't, I just think they, um, they should get him in there with guys like Sami Zayn, um, have, have built him, uh, get him more experience working the longer matches uh, before being in positions like this. But yeah, I mean, that was a little botched thing, but overall it, it was kind of negligible. It didn't really matter. It wasn't, it didn't throw anything off. And um, I mean, yeah, I thought the match itself was fine. You know. Orton was not uh, timid about putting him back in it and just doing a DDT on the mat. <laughs> he yeah. didn't even bother to drape him the second time. He's like, seriously, this this again? And then he just does it anyway. So he got oh. the spot through, which – Orton's been all praise Orton for Jinder. Orton is serious when he gets in the ring. So Orton's been all praise for Jinder. He's, uh, if you look yeah. at the comments he's made, it's interesting how um, all the guys internally, when they're asked about Jinder in interviews or – Edge and Christian, or even Sid Vicious this week. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, all these guys are all praise for Jinder. I think they all see that star quality. It's just uh, he just needs to improve in the ring, and I, I think it'll happen if he's in there with the right people. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, um, after the match, we sort of saw this coming, and then they tried to swerve us off of it. Orton was staring a hole right through Nakamura as they were uh, getting their hands raised for the victory, and then oh, they're all laughy and giggly, sort of, you know, hanging out for a second, and then all of a sudden, RKO out of nowhere, and drops Nakamura, who absolutely sold it like a million bucks. Uh, so, Orton stands tall to end the show. What did you think of, did, did you see it coming as everybody else did, and did you get swerved at all with the sort of uh, pal- palling it up there for a second? Oh, yeah, he saw it coming. Um but I, thought, I still thought it was well done, especially because Orton, he, he kind of gave a genuine smile. He didn't look like a, a sneaky smile. So right. it, it, it was like, well, are they going to do it? And then, you know, boom. It was, it was well played. I mean, it, it threw the scent off of it just long enough, and then the camera cuts, and then boom, there it is. Yeah. Um, but overall, 1 through 10, 1 being the worst, 10 being the best, what do you give this SmackDown? Um, I'd give it like a – a six. I thought it was just there. 
Um, yeah, uh, I'm in that same ballpark as well. I think that opening segment, again, some people loved it. I wasn't a fan of, of the horrible overacting, even though I know it was done on purpose. Thought the in-ring action for what was there was okay and advanced a couple storylines. So, I mean, it did its job, but it definitely wasn't one of the, the better episodes in the last you know, couple of months. So, Yeah. Um, have you got a chance to catch any of the May Young Classic yet? Not yet, have you? I, I have watched the first four episodes, um, and all of this will be non-spoilers. I know we only got a couple seconds, but um, I'll run through some things real quick. Um, Kyrie Sane is as good as advertised, and she had a fantastic match with Tessa Blanchard, um, who also looked fantastic in their match. I just have a couple of minor problems with it because I love the concept. Um, a couple of good things I like were, were they darken the crowd and they keep the spotlights solely on the ring. So you're not looking at the guys in the crowd trying to get themselves over with their chance. The action is focused on the women inside the ring, which I really like. Um, but a couple of the bad things, I've seen a lot of bad match logic, ring logic, where you put a girl's shoulders on the mat with a move and then you don't go follow it up with a cover. That drives me insane. Um, if, you, if you've done a good enough move to where the girl's shoulders are on the mat and then you pose or you go back for something else to try to follow it up, to me that's not sound logic, and I don't know if that's on the girls or if that's on the agent or, or who it might be. Um, the refereeing, great to see a full-time female referee. I thought that was a very nice touch. Uh, she definitely has a little work to do um, with some of her skills, uh, but – She'd done a solid job, I think, for, you know, for her having a major event now under her belt and still being extremely green in that role. I would do a suggestion and watch these episodes on mute. I think the girls tell a better story than JR and Lita do because JR has to come up with all these adjectives that just don't either fit the girls or they're extremely repetitive. Hmm. Um, I, you can tell that he's not familiar with the talent and he's just regurgitating different attributes that they show. Um, and, and Lita, I think, does a pretty decent job in the color role, but very, very short with her analysis. Uh, doesn't really give JR a, a whole lot to, to bounce off of. Yeah, it would have been good if they had Daniel Bryan and, and kept it as a 3 -point. Oh, if you had Moro and, and Daniel on this, it would make it feel ten times better and bigger than it already is. But Yeah. I love JR, but uh... – some of his whole show when, when he's not that familiar with the product. I think we saw it with the, the New Japan U.S. specials. Even NXT um, TakeOver, when he was calling with Mauro, I, I was really excited that yeah. seeing JR and Mauro calling a match together. And when I was done, I was like, man, Mauro really carried that. Um, mm -hmm. um, and, I, and, and I think JR and, and uh, you know, King are the, the best wrestling announced team uh, outside, oh, of, outside of maybe Vince and Jesse. Uh, just, you know, for nostalgia purposes, I guess. But, yeah. Uh, I guess a couple quick names to look out for. Like I said, Kyrie Sane. Uh, I think Rhea Ripley, she's only 20 years old, from Australia. She looked fantastic. Uh, great to see Serena D back in a WWE ring after battling some, uh, some internal demons uh, with alcohol and that kind of thing. She looked great. Uh, Sarah Logan, I think, is going to be a breakout star in this tournament. And Jazzy Gabbert who I was unfamiliar with, you know, sort of the, the big muscular bodybuilder German lady. There was all this hype, and I, I didn't see it. Like, she's a spectacle.
for sure because you know she's huge she's sort of the braun Strowman of that tournament in a sense uh but the work to me wasn't there her facials weren't really there i mean she just kind of she, she, she was just kind of a spectacle more so than a sports entertainer if that makes sense and I'm sure that's part of it. I mean, there's only so much she can do with her yeah. you know, size and physique. So, uh, yeah, we'll just have to we'll wait and see. Yeah. Absolutely. But, yes, the four, first four episodes are up on the WWE Network. Check those out. Um, but anything else before we head out, Raj? Uh, no. Uh, just it's a busy week on the site. Um, tons of stuff. So, just keep checking us out. Uh, and guys, we have a new Facebook page as well. Uh, be on the lookout for links. We'll post that to Twitter and probably, you know, put a little news post up as well. You need to follow that new Facebook page. I know some of you guys have been getting frustrated with us having to put the links. Facebook's just not being very nice to popular sites like us. And yeah. um, we're just trying to reconfigure a few things, but we appreciate y'all's support in that as well. Yeah, we've had our Facebook page for, geez, I, I, I think it's been like 10 years and uh, yeah. never any issues. Then they made all these changes and, you know, we have over 173,000 uh, followers and uh, yeah, it looks like, I mean, we're, we're kind of one of the guys that uh, is getting affected by their changes. They, um, so, you know, so we're going to have a second one. Uh, it's more specifically for news, uh, for our news and, and, and posting the, uh, uh, you know, uh, exclusive photos and videos and stuff. So that will be at facebook.com slash wrestling Inc. Com C O M, uh, all, all one word. And, uh, just slash wrestling Inc. is still there. And, uh, and we're not deactivating that anytime soon. Sounds good for Raj Geary. I am Chris Calicut coming out with me tonight, 8 PM Eastern on the NXT, uh, live viewing party. Find me on Twitter at knockdown underscore radio. Where can they find you Raj? All right, RogeGary303 on Twitter. Fantastic. Until next time, we'll be back on Monday. For Raj Geary, I am Chris Calicut for the Wrestling Inc. Podcast. Have a wonderful day. Take care. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.